Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. show i'm higher peaks and this is lady sativa and happy thanksgiving happy turkey day or thanksgiving is that what they say yep whatever friendsgiving friendsgiving so many different things anymore lots of turkey tryptophan and cannabis it seems like a lot of people smoke a lot of weed mm-hmm. well we had ham but i really like edibles during the holiday i wish we would have had edibles we didn't no. Holidays are great for edibles because you get to like get the heavy medicinal high all day. Yeah, and you get to eat a lot of food. Munch down. Yeah, edibles do make me hungry too. But we smoked a lot. Yeah. So I hope everybody had a good day. Uh, we did. Spent it with family. Um, hopefully not too much time on the road. We didn't have any time on the road, which is legit. Um, we had a little bit of time going to Walmart. and Fuck that. <laughs> I got more anxiety from the workers than I did from the people that were there, even though I was getting sized up by every other person in that building. Yeah, it was pretty creepy because everybody's looking around like, uh, how am I going to tackle you if you want to get the shit what, I want? What are you looking for? Are you here for what I'm here for? And they're like up and down like, what's in your cart? And then, and then if you look at social media, it's kind of scary because it's like how many people are fake Walmart employees? I'm glad we're too broke to have any part of that. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> anyway, we've been gone for like three weeks now, which is huge and horrible, and we feel bad, and I'm sorry. Uh, a lot of it is we have picked up a new studio now. Yes. Working a lot. Well, working, of course. No, I, on I, the studio. Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. We've been really putting a lot of time in the studio and... Uh, Getting a lot of things figured out, and so our yeah, time's be, been a little preoccupied. Yeah, and it's, the transition's been tough because I haven't really been able to bring too many people in for an interview with the transition with gear and getting the remodel done well and halloween and my birthday <laughs> and thanksgiving no excuses and then oh, hold on we got another birthday in like a week and then we got christmas and then hold on another birthday after yeah. that oh god screw this time of year <laughs> <laughs> yeah since we have no excuses um we apologize so but we're keeping it coming uh, once the studio, which we're pretty much going to be ready to go. We're not going to be done mm-hmm. with the studio for a while, but we'll be ready to at least record something and get get something out from the studio and not from this loud house. Yeah, that's the thing. We've had a lot of cameos on this show in the last 50 episodes, whether it be a car, a ghost fart, ghost farts, you know, <laughs> dogs, dogs, kids, uh, lots of cars like to appear on the show in the middle of the night. You know, we do motorcycles. a lot. Of, yeah. And we do a lot of recording late at night trying to stay away from that. And I've been talking sometimes midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I'm sure you can hear it in our voices. <laughs> and still, we still get that couple of those motorcycles that really like to. And you know, what's sad about those motorcycles is always the loudest crotch rocket in the city and or a couple of harleys that one guy really likes to drive all the way around by the way he starts on one side of our house and ends up on the other side and these roads 
are at least a mile apart. Yeah. Maybe not a mile apart, maybe a half mile apart, but you can hear him on both roads and you can hear him all the way up one. Right. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> well, nonetheless, it's very difficult. So it's going to be nice to get out of a home studio situation and move into an offsite location that, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to put up audio panels and, uh, you know, we have a, a flat screen we're going to be able to use for fact checking and mm-hmm. video and, and stuff like that. We're, you know, we've got a small team now. So now we've got an audio engineer that's going to help oh, us yeah. during the shows. I mean, it's become a whole collaboration here, a lot bigger than kind of than we expected, but well, it was just the two of us for yeah, a long time. Yeah, you know, we've been lone wolves for a long time trying to do this. And so we've been very successful with it, thankfully, enough mm-hmm. to where we can do this now. So that makes us excited because now we can actually focus on bringing out more content and content, you know, on a timely manner. And get some sort of schedule down for everybody. So on a timely manner. He timely. timely. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited about that because I have all these things I want to be able to do. And now we have the space to do it. Hell yeah. Which is cool. So yeah, it'll be nice. Right. So let's take a look about what's going around Oregon and kind of the world. We all know that they kind of passed, they basically passed one house on this bill mm-hmm. for legalizing cannabis on a federal level. We're getting there. Yeah. Which is really cool because, you know, we're, it looks like it's pretty much going to go that way. Just a matter of time. Although I'll tell you um, what's going to happen is the FDA is, the FDA is going to get a new whore to, or a new lady to whore out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is part of legalization. So, uh, and you know, really the States at this point, most of them are medical, you know, rec is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they didn't go <laughs> federal, I mean, it seems like most of the States would be there anyway at some point. Right. Right. So we got that. I'm just concerned about the whole FDA and the governing bodies that are going to be involved with that. What I, uh, the biggest thing that one of our listeners brought up is we have to maintain the ability to grow on, you know, a personal mm-hmm. level, you know, um, for personal use, uh, personal growing because if we lose that, then it's essentially out the window. Right. We're going to be subject to to complete regulation, really. Yes. yes. Um, but hopefully we can maintain the personal growing just like you would with brewing br- beer. Well, there for a long time, you weren't allowed to brew beer at home. And then they turned it into you can get self-brewing kits. Right. So you used to not be able to smoke by weed you know anything but illegally and then now you could buy it in shops but it yeah. was illegal to grow so it's like been back and forth so i think that they're probably gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to go through the same shit yeah well and there's gonna be a lot of issues because you like, know these maybe they're not gonna allow us to grow at first and then oh they might change it to oh a week later we can grow at home as long as it's not at where a child can reside um and then it's going to turn into as long as it's not in an outside fixture that's not attached to your house and <laughs> come on you know the fucking hoops that they want us to jump through it's ridiculous sometimes right but on a federal level i don't see them being that picky i don't see them going oh no one can grow i would think it would i'd be more worried about municipalities like the cities like medford basically saying you can't grow oh yeah Mm -hmm. you can grow four plants on a federal level but sorry not in this city yeah okay well let's look at what oregon's doing so oregon they eliminated vitamin e in the state they tried to do you know Vitamin E acetate? Yes. Okay. And and Kate Brown, the governor, she got really bad backlash when she tried to ban... <laughs> ban it. Ban uh, vape mm. e-juices and yeah. stuff, which did affect THC. And um, artificial terpene uh, THC cartridges as well. R- right. Yeah. The yes. artificial flavoring. Yes. Well, that's kind of been put on hold. There's an article about that. It was put on hold. Organ bans on both flavored nicotine and cannabis vaping products now on hold. So that's kind of not really going on either. Um, I wouldn't know. We don't have them on our shelf. 
Yeah, so that's the thing is if you're at this point, most people probably don't even have them on the shelf. I think it mostly affected the e-cigs, the the e-liquid stuff, because that is all about flavors and that is all about vitamin E, really. It mostly did, but there are a few companies that are just, um, they're just artificial flavors. Yeah. Such as Winberry Farms. Right. Do you even see them anywhere when you're out there? Um, I mean, you don't go any other. Okay, I don't never go mind. into any other. Why would you? Why would you have to? Oh my god. Well, um, we have a lot of weed ourselves, and then we usually get a good discount at where I'm at. So why should I go anywhere else if I'm only going to get a twenty percent discount, maybe fifteen? If they're even nice to you. If they're nice to me, because I don't always have my, you know, my OLCC marijuana handler's card on me. Mm-hmm. It's at work. Yeah. On the back of my name tag. <laughs> Well, she got a lot of backlash, so that didn't go well. And so, Thank you, Kate Brown. <laughs> well, I don't know how she thought she's going to pass something like that because there's too many damn mm-hmm. stores and locations that aren't going to... Well, that's putting she a was, lot of people out of a job. Yeah. Well, and even like I said, with this flavoring, it's kind of been put on hold too. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it seems like you know we haven't heard about any more new illnesses or, or deaths. deaths or anything. I mean, they, they seems like they've kind of creeped in, but seems like it's kind of settled down. That could be a media thing too, where mm-hmm. they're just not covering it. But nonetheless, another big one that we had talked about was Shadowbox, you know, a uh, company out of Portland. We did the interview back, like I said, episode, God, way back, like 21, 22, 23, something, something like, that. like that. We talked with Donnie at the time and the crew that was out there. Um, shout out to I Count Plants. I still see him out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he's with Shadowbox, but. I don't think so. But their Portland facility, which I think is their distribution slash headquarters, their their farm is down here in uh, Williams, mm-hmm. which is where we were at. But the big spot up north in the Portland area has got jacked. <laughs> These guys went million, through. A couple million, right? 1.2 million, approximate. The guys went down through the roof. I got to read part of the article because the numbers on it were interesting. It, I mean, it's not... <laughs> I, I'm not trying to laugh about it, but these guys were serious. Like this is a straight Yeah, they heist. were dedicated. This is like not only was it probably inside information, obviously, but this is like a bank heist. Like they had to come it through was the an roof. Inside job. They had cameras that they disabled. They uh, cut through metal bars. They cut through the roof. Uh, apparently, it was a break in over two days. So, which confused me, saying is don't go into details. I will tell you though. But like it says, I'll, I'll read part of this article. It says, the bandits reportedly cut through the roof and used a ladder to swipe the products. Sounds pretty simple, but when you have to go through bars swipe and shit. Swipe or no swipey. Nonetheless, that these made off with 55,000 grams of oil, which was the big score because that oil not only is, it is heavy, but, you know, it's compact. Mm-hmm. And it's expensive. Most likely in jars, seeing as it wasn't separated yet or something. It was probably in jars. Now, the one thing about that is the amount of flour it took to make 55,000 grams of oil is quite a bit of flour. That's the big hit. And then also over 400 pounds of the flour product. Smokable flour. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was in cure bins. Uh, And, you know, it is sad. They claim that they're going to be able to come back from it. And, you know, Shadowbox, I know they've got some got some money behind him so I'm, yeah. I'm sure they'll be okay but man terrible uh terrible that happened but yeah i would i would venture to say that that is a inside job or not mm-hmm. not necessarily inside but inside information like they had to have known a bunch of stuff of what their logistics of the building was yeah nonetheless a big hit like that can be damaging and you know i mean word is some of these farms are, are having difficulties at this time anyway mm-hmm. so you know we'll see on that uh unfortunate to say the least but I think this is probably the single biggest heist we've had since at least 2015 when the yeah 
wreck. I mean, I'm sure there was big things happening out in the black market. but Yeah, but of course, we're not going to hear about that <laughs> no. quite as uh, loudly. Well, I hope things do end up good for them, though. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. And they are fairly strong, like I said. So hopefully things work out for them. I do believe maybe they had some sort of um, reward out there for information on yeah. that. I'm, I'm sure they'll find these guys. There's no way. They'll find them. With that much product missing, yeah. But that's I think the thing, though, is that product is probably gone. It's probably on the East Coast somewhere Oh, it's now. probably gone, yeah. yeah. But there's going to be yeah. repercussions somewhere. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. So, also, too, and then on the, let's even get more local, um, OLCC's been poking around. Sounds like you guys had a little, what do they call those? Just It was an audit. Audit. That's what the, they make it sound so yeah. official, like... The tax man's coming. Basically, they come in. They basically come in and make sure your metric tags match with what's in their system, and the count matches. Yeah, and they're looking for certain things that are triggering them now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for you people out there in the dispensary world, you know, if you think that you're going to get away with some basic things with a medical card or Such benefits, purchasing for other people with your medical card, it's illegal. It's right. your medical card. It's supposed to be used for you yeah. or your caregiver. It's it, it, honestly. You know, if you go in with a friend and you're purchasing something for your friend, that's your business. But as a care, as a bud tender, you do not use your card. You should know better because it is the law. And so, you know, even then, you know, it, they they will tell you they don't care what you do as long as they see that it's you purchasing whatever it is. So leave that gray area where you want to leave it, okay? (laughs) Right, yeah. But don't blast it in their face and keep receipts and, like, have all your friends line up with you when you're purchasing shit and make it fucking obvious. Yeah, Because you're just ruining it for everybody else with their medical card, and you're just abusing the system, and it's illegal. (laughs) Yeah, and there's things like this situation where there are still gray areas, and and probably for the most part, there will always be some sort of gray areas in these systems, but... OLCC is going to know they've been doing this enough now that they kind of know where those gray areas exist. Yes. And if they see anything poking their ugly head out of that gray area, they're going to definitely poke their head back in. Yes. Such as the same card repetitively used and they can see on camera that it's not that same person using it. Yeah. Such as if that person's not in the store and you're using their medical card, guess what? That's illegal. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Here's your sign. They're not there. Yeah, and apparently that must happen a lot. I'm sure they see that. I'm sure they do because it's starting. It's something they're really cracking down on. So I think it's something they're really trying to figure out. Nonetheless, everything went fine. You guys had your P's and Q's and T's and R's and S's crossed, and mm-hmm. and everything was fine. So um, now you're going to be able to have some idea of <laughs> what's going to happen next time. <laughs> yes, because we are um, completely caught up and the, the, basically everything in the store is caught up to everyone who is now working there. So right. manager-wise, everything starts over from fresh for the managers that we now have. So anything, any product that was in the system before these two managers is no longer there, unless it's stuff that was in the store yeah. still physically. Yeah, And that's just, that's a smart thing to know anyways. Check your metric, not your POS system. Yeah. Your POS system does not tell you the correct numbers all the time. Mm-hmm. You should always check your actual green bits. Or I'm sorry, you should check your actual metric system so you know what's really in your system. Because that's what they see. They don't see what's in your POS system. No, and I, I imagine there's some areas that we even talked to like Sugar Tree who had mentioned that there's some areas that can be easily 
messed up or Mm -hmm. confused or you don't change it right or don't change it at all or whatever. Yes, and it's like certain things like pre-rolls, for example, they go by the weight of the pre-roll. They don't go by the count of the pre-roll. So if you have, yeah, yeah, if you have two half grams and, but the weight of them is counting the paper. So technically it's like two, like it's 1.2. They count that. And that's what's in metric. But in your system, it's the number of pre-rolls that you have. Yeah. So that's where it can get confusing is two different things being shown. And that's just a simple thing. That's not even the complex things that they fucking show. (laughs) Right. right. That's just a very simple thing of where it can get easily fucked up. Yeah. Like, for example, our TKO pre-rolls, they are 1.5 grams. But in the package, they're 1.7 grams. In our system, (laughs) there's one. So... Metric will show you the 1.7 grams. Your system will show you one personal mm-hmm. one, actually just one there, because it counts it. Right. Yeah. I can see a lot of that stuff being difficult, but at least they're working with that stuff. Yes. Um, they're they're trying yeah. to figure out little things like that, but mm-hmm. those things are not what they're looking for. No. No. That's not. That's just that gives you an example of what the small things are that's going on that's different from metric to you know as a whole. POS. As a whole, I see enough people getting in trouble over stuff like this that they're going to start pulling licenses and stuff. You know, there's been a couple. Um, I, not even store licenses. I see them taking bud tenders and be like, "You're not going to be able to have a, a you know, a, that's a handler's looking, card." Yeah, that's know? what they're looking for for people that are abusing it and doing, like I said, using their medical card. They're looking for people that are abusing their right as an OLCC person behind the counter and having an OMMP card. So they're seeing it, the the cross there. Yeah, sure. Um, and then um, they're also shutting down places for violations, but they're like fining so heavily that um, either places can't afford to pay, pay their fines mm-hmm. or they're just straight just shutting them down for business, not open the next day yeah. because of stuff that they cannot fix. They're like, no, this is unfixable. This is obviously something's going on. There's obviously, you know, this is not a reason that you can continue. <laughs> well, best part about growing your own, we don't have OLCC rules. In fact, I don't really follow anybody's rules at this point, except for my own. Yeah. Which is nice. So backyard banging catches up there. We haven't talked really much about it because we've just been freaking trimming. I mean, you know, we have we've slacked been slacking a, bit, a lot. We got a lot trimmed right up front. We did. You know, we've got probably only a couple pounds left, like four bags, maybe half a pound a piece. So mm-hmm. maybe two pounds, two and a half pounds left. That's not bad, but. Nice thing is, is we've got now, this is that time of year where we can, we got stuff, we can make stuff, mm-hmm. whatever that is, tinctures, edibles, whatever. And we've got a lot of flour. I find it hard though, because it's like at certain times of the year, we don't have this, right? Because mm-hmm. like by next year, say midsummer, August-ish, it's probably going to be low. The time that we need it the most. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and what's not low is going to be old and, you know, I mean, people say, hey, it's got a great cure. Well, it gets old <laughs> It still gets old. It's, it's still, still a plant. <laughs> so, Plants uh, don't stay yeah. good forever. I doubt anybody's buying or wanting to buy year old weed off a dispensary shelf. So. No, it's probably going to be edibles at that point. Right, exactly. So, but when you're in that zone, you're you're really like, oh my gosh, I just, every eighth you get, you just, it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. But when you're on this side of the fence, you know, you've got four pounds under the bed or whatever. And, and you're like, huh? Oh, Cut jars. Yeah. Oh. I'm tired of that flavor and switch <laughs> next. So I'm trying to keep trying to keep the vision on that, that, you know, this is nice and comfy, which is good because between Thanksgiving and Christmas is the comfy time for the cannabis. Mm-hmm. It is. It's nice. Cause cropped over. 
And what's nice is, you know, going around, everybody's got it. Yeah, it's hard to give it away. You know, you're like, hey, check out my flower I grew. Blam. Everybody's like, oh, great. That's just more I've been given. More flower. <laughs> Which they were trying to give you some of theirs. So, yeah, there's trades and stuff, and it's all cool, and it's nice. But oh, here, you smoke mine, I'll smoke yours. It's so plentiful that uh, just everybody's got it. And so, right now, Remember you know, when it used to not be like this? Oh, well, it we couldn't would, just trade bulls. It wasn't trading bulls. No. You had to pay like 10 bucks. Right. <laughs> I got five on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you and your friend had to split it for yeah. a bowl. Yo, I remember. And even that, a 20, you know, when you bought a 20. A 20 twin. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, if you were, if you did five on it, then, man, that was one blunt or whatever. One joint. I mean, you know, a gram. Well, so for the people that did grow in uh, this year, you know, we're we're reaping the rewards now. Yep. And it is a lot of work. That's one thing is I was looking back over the, this year and I'm thinking, man, you know, maybe there is a limit to how much you should grow. I used to think, you know, just grow as much as you can get out of a plant and get and this and that. And then, you know, you adopt, well, then you want quality and you want flavor or terpenes. And then at some point you grow enough. You're like, this is just too much work for this. <laughs> you're like, I love this plant, but you know what? Yeah. We need to have a talk. But we <laughs> So I think we kind of got to that point this year, which is cool. So I need to, you know, know my limits. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, because on the back end, there's a lot of trimming, just trimming, just any of it. It's, mm -hmm. it's so much work. It's just so much work. <laughs> oh, so, and we still got to put out the rust episode. I'm still going to do that. It's going to be a short one. I'm not going to bore too many people with it. I'm going to be straightforward into the facts with that. But it's part of that IPM strategy we've been working on. And outdoors, I'm telling you, man, it's indoors you got to really control the environment and that's really hard. But if you've got it under control, it's good. Mm -hmm. Outdoors, you're at the mercy at any given moment of anything. Everything. Wind blows a different direction. Everything. If it exists outside, it could exist on the plant. So it's just something new. It's brutal. So uh, transitioning over into the interview, uh, before we do that, I just want to mention two things. We haven't really, like I told people I would let them, you know, I'd give them like a little IG or a little something each episode to, to feed their brains. But um, so this time I wanted to point out, and a lot of people in the cannabis industry probably already know this person, not person, but this site and information, but Future 4200, big cannabis resource info. Um, so on IG, it's at 4200, excuse me, at future 4200. Um, it's a gentleman that's into regenerative practice or um, permaculture using incorporating uh, meat and cattle into the permaculture and into the land and how it operates and uh, being in a self-sufficient self manner. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, beyond that, he's in the past had started this website called Future 4200. Mm-hmm designed around the permaculture, cannabis, hemp, um, this type of um, farming practices and such. And so on that website, there is, um, which is feature4200.com, uh, there's a lot of free resource, everything from, you know, um, cannabis processing, growing, hemp, all kinds of free information. Nice. All moderated by the community. So if you haven't seen that, Check it out because it's a huge source of info. It's all free. It's all moderated by the community. And this guy's a really cool guy. He does have some strong beliefs on, you know, the meat side of things and, mm -hmm. and farming practices with the the cattle industry, um, which I have no, not going to talk about my, any opinion on that. Uh, that's your own thing. But on the cannabis side, there's a lot of good resources there. Right. So check it out if you like. And the other thing too is higher etiquette. I don't know. We've talked about it in the past too, but this book's yeah. really cool. Here I've been, and there we've talked about it. 
I've been glancing through it, and it's like, so Lizzie Post is the author, and Lizzie is the granddaughter of Emily Post, great-granddaughter of Emily Post, who's the original author of Higher Etiquette for the Book of Etiquette. Yes. Okay. And so that was the, the, the gold standard for etiquette for people, which is, it's a notorious book. Right. Well, her great-granddaughter decides to write the Higher Etiquette book, which is a book of etiquette on cannabis, you know, use and all. And it's a full, complete book. That's what's really cool about it is, right. you know, as cannabis users, me and you, we've been through a couple decades of, of just known etiquette, pass to the left, uh, you know, um, just certain things like that. Puff, puff, pass. Uh, you know, don't fuck up the rotation. Uh, you don't know, if, fuck up the rotation. If you roll it, you light it. So just stuff like that is all kind of a common sense slash just being in the culture mm-hmm. but she goes into depth i mean like she goes into like etiquette for work and etiquette for social situations yeah you can go ahead and open it up and like um, cannabis the, the cannabis culture shift meet cannabis cannabis and you the 420 friendly household yeah so like cannabis etiquette in households it's even like cannabis etiquette for parties cannabis etiquette for guests entertaining in cannabis uh shall we get high uh cannabis about town Etiquette for sessions, and each of these have little things inside of it, such as uh, the basics, mixing and matching, rotation etiquette, passing, declining, so gross, breaking things, last hit, ending a session. (laughs) That's an etiquette for sessions. So lots of cool stuff in there, and good reference material. It's good talk. It's good conversation material for you know parties or or stuff like that where you can you can have a conversation about what (laughs) the real etiquette may be. Funny enough, she has stuff, stuff in here saying things not to say. Added flavorings make that oil basically poison if you think about it. Was she predicting the future? <laughs> well, you got to keep in mind that... I hate when tobacco's, tobacco's mixed in, but you go right ahead. Yes, well... It's called a spliff, people. Yeah, keep in mind, though, that, that this is higher etiquette. This is not... This is a higher standard. This is not, you know, oh, your so garage spliffs- band... So spliffs are higher, aren't high enough for standards, right? Or, or uh, no, I think she's saying that it's okay to say something or okay not to say something. Oh, it's something. okay. Well, it says not to, yeah, not exactly. to Exactly, so it. you don't say that. Exactly. If the case is you don't like it. Pinching. Taking a pinch of someone's weed without asking is pinching. It's, <laughs> it's not as common as it once was in areas where weed is legal and dispensaries are accessible. Still, convenience can lead anyone to pinch someone from their roommate, some from their roommate, knowing that they will get them back later. Wow. Yes, I remember that's those true. times. <laughs> I remember people used to pinch my sack all the time. Yeah. Yep. Used to I, be like, oh, yeah, it weighs out. And you I, weigh it yourself, and it's like 3.2. There was a couple years in the early 90s that I was buying two and a half gram eights for sure. <laughs> whole fucking gram fuck you oh, yeah no i had i had uh, a young lady dealer that uh she was she would take all you know she would get she, the thing is, is she was she had the green that she had the this is the time when green was just hitting oregon or not oregon i shouldn't say that but this area this medford yeah. area and so she had the bomb and so so she would take the small nugs and then leave you she the would, big one well she'd break it all up oh she'd break it all up because it, it looks not as bad when you break up. Yeah, it looks buds, like right? Exactly. So she'd break it all up and take, yeah, fucking gram about, because I would go back. But the thing was, is I couldn't get that kind of, it was really good weed. That's fucked. I got screwed. We all got screwed in those days around here, but. $60 for 2.5 grams? Fuck yeah. Well, it was 50 
If I paid sixty, I was getting three and a half grams. But it did happen. It's still twenty five dollars for. I don't want to talk about it. All right, let's move on. One point two five grams. Or well, I could have bought for the same price. I could have bought a half ounce. A little of, over a little over a gram. You paid twenty five dollars for honey. Yeah, I know. But the other option was to pay <laughs> the same amount for diazonon. I'm just giving or, you a hard paraquat. time <laughs> for how much shit. And people try to say that they pay so high now. I know. I know. <laughs> Times have done changed. Now let's go into the interview. <laughs> yeah. With that said, we sat we down. Digress. Yeah. <laughs> We sat down with Joel from Joel Keygrow from Keygrow Solutions. Now, let me give you a context on this. Joel is a gentleman that's been in the cannabis world. He's from Vegas, but he's been a bud tender and he's he's dabbled in different areas of the cannabis world. He's grown, uh, but he got approached and has a story about how he got into making this nutrient line. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because his intention was not to make a nutrient line. And as everybody knows, trying to make a nutrient line in this day and age for cannabis is like, it's futile. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're thinking right. unless you have a shit ton of money. Bottom line is I had met up with this guy um, through social media and we had talked and we're always open to different kinds, kinds of um, uh, nutrients. Mm-hmm. And this is a natural slash conventional line. You know, these terms are so diluted, like organic and full spectrum and doesn't he explain all this he does yeah yeah i just want people to know that that you know these these terms are loose but but he gives a different viewpoint and angle detailed well and a different angle of his line on how it's essentially a higher quality natural conventional line and it it really is from source to bottle it's it's really uh a good line and we tried it now it's not registered in oregon for cannabis and so um it's you know he can't just sell it off the shelf in oregon yet it's mm-hmm. going to be registered but oregon has some pretty stiff rules when it comes to nutrient labels and shit like that so aside from that process is working on we had got some samples because it's legal to have samples so we had samples sent here and, and we tried it on our flowers ornamentals and uh, our vegetables actually mm-hmm. and man i tell you we had really good success it was good stuff really really easy to use mm-hmm. i enjoyed it thoroughly yes uh, flavors were great on our vegetables and our flowers were, were beautiful. I mean, some of our better flowers this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and like I said, the really thing I liked a lot about it was it was very easy and it was a natural, uh, so it was a natural line that had some buffer in it. Like it was some conventional lines. You can really burn plants easy and then overfeed or, or underfeed real easy. There was, his line is more in the sense like organic, um, it has like you kind of overfeed or underfeed and it mm-hmm. won't it doesn't you know hurt it either way which is good especially for beginners so anyway he goes into all this how he got into it and it's a really cool story and he also it, it actually goes into kind of the scientific chemical chemistry side of it so it is definitely full of good info yes, uh, for is. the people that use conventional and natural lines and it's something that i'm going to recommend when it hits organ because it's a really good line for people that like to use that that stuff oh we have been gone but you know, for a couple, two, three weeks. But now that the studio is almost finished to be able to record in, we're bringing a lot of stuff out. Make sure that you're subscribed to us. Mm-hmm. Make sure you follow us on YouTube too as well, because um, that's going to be growing. We're going to put a lot of video out. So subscribe to us on whatever platform that you're listening to us, because it's going to be a little sporadic right now. So if you subscribe to us on whatever platform, iTunes, Google, whatever, Stitcher, you'll get the the notice when 
Um, we put out a new episode. Also, if you go to our website, organrooted541.com, you can also subscribe to us there, and it'll send you an email as well if that's the way you prefer it. Right. And uh, also, um, we're going to put out a Patreon. We're opening up Patreon. So we're going to have a subscriber premium content through the website on Patreon. Right. I'm excited about this because we're going to have some cool-ass, behind-the-scenes, you know, subscriber-worthy cool shit. Yes, we are. So keep a lookout for that. All right? All right. Enjoy the interview. Oregon love. Oregon love. Stay rooted. So why don't you start out with that? Why don't you start out with, uh, you know, who you are and, uh, you know, how you came into doing this, what you're doing? I, I currently run Kegro Solutions. Uh, we, we're a newer nutrient line. We've just kind of developed the, these formulas over the last year, and we've been going through registrations uh, throughout the U.S. and kind of knocking those out, and we're starting to get it out into the market now. But um, as far as uh, how I got started and involved in this, um, you know, I used to, I mean, I grew up in Southern California, so obviously cannabis was always a part of my life. Um, I lived in an area with a really favorable environment, so I, I planted my first plant over 20 years ago, uh, and I always had a lot of success, but I never really understood what I was doing for a long, long time. I, I just lived somewhere where basically, you know, the soil was good, the environment was good, and, um, you know, if you planted a seed and put down, you know, good microbials and stuff, things just kind of took off. So I sort of was able to take for granted for a very long time having any knowledge of actually what we were doing to, to be successful. You know, my main thing, I used to, I used to work in the film industry. Uh, I used to shoot a lot of music videos and movies and uh, promote concerts around Southern California, uh, mostly like punk and metal shows and stuff like that. There was a, uh, I guess at the time it was medical in California and it, you know, it's what they would have called a collective uh, in the neighborhood where I lived where some of my friends were delivery drivers. So a friend of mine who was in a band, he, uh, he was gonna go on tour with his band. So they asked me if I wouldn't mind filling in for a couple of weeks so he would have a job to come back to. Uh, and I was in between shoots. So it sounded kind of, I mean, it sounded cool and interesting at the time, you know? Like I think a lot of people first getting into the cannabis industry are doing it because it sounds sexy, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? It's uh, trendy. It is. It is. It's trendy. Um, and I'm not, you know, in that way, I'm not really any different than people that are getting involved today in that means. I mean, we all start somewhere. I just kind of got involved before other people did, um, before a lot of the people who are involved today did. Uh, so before it came legally trendy. To, yeah, absolutely. Before the Chads and the Brads <laughs> came along. You know, when I started doing this delivery driver job, I quickly learned how little I actually knew about weed. Like I thought I knew a lot about it, but then I started, you know, hearing about CBDs and other things and terpenes. And I was like, wow, I really don't know much. I should start trying to educate myself. So I uh, started digging into the plant a lot more and its effects on people. And, um, you know, really that was my starting point was kind of delivering to cancer patients and people who were terminally ill uh, and becoming a part of their personal experience. Um, you know, you can't save all of them, but, you know, you will leave a lot of their pain. Some of them you do help save uh, all around. It's a very, um, you know, it's a heavy experience. So I guess after a couple of weeks when my friend came back from tour, uh, going back to what I was doing before just seemed kind of trivial. So I uh, took that collective over as uh, the operations manager. And uh, at the time, we kind of grew it into one of the biggest uh, collectives in California, um, especially Southern California, and definitely Ventura County, where we were located. Um, 
Now, as as time got on, uh, sorry, <laughs> excuse me, as time went on, uh, I, you know, I started to get to know a lot more of the growers, uh, and I was getting a lot more interested in the growing process. And I had a friend who uh, was one of the owners of, you know, a fairly well-known uh, microbially-based nutrient company uh, that was called Primordial Solutions. Uh, and they, um, you know, it, it's, it's getting a little bit deep into it, but they were having some issues uh, with some distribution and stuff, and uh, they hadn't shipped anything out of their warehouse in a while, so I, you know, I left the collective and stepped in there uh, to kind of take over the sales and distribution and eventually uh, the operations as the chief operations officer. Wow. You know, at that time, I <laughs> once again quickly learned that I really did not know much. So uh, it was a quick crash course in trying to study, you know, what NPK was, what micronutrients did, um, right. different types of bacteria and stuff like that. But a lot of the way that I really learned was just from the sheer amount of people that I was able to talk to in that position. So every time I would reconnect with a grow store, you know, I'd get to know the people that worked there, their philosophies, what they liked about what we were doing. Um, and, and talking to a lot of growers, um, people would call me constantly asking for advice in my my motto, you know, my mental motto was basically just don't give bad advice. Just don't screw it up. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't bashful about letting people, you know, know that I didn't know. Um, I think that there's no shame in not knowing as long as you don't, you know, fake it. You know, eventually I, I stepped away from that company. I, I moved out to Las Vegas to open recreational sales again as a dispensary general manager. I, I was kind of bouncing back and forth between uh, dispensaries and cultivation. And for better or worse, everyone's entitled to their opinion on this. But I wasn't having the the easiest time sort of um, melding with the owners of the legal companies that I was working for. At the time, I, you know, I was sort of at the end of my rope and not really sure what I was going to do. And I met some people um, based out of Ohio who were interested in uh, getting into the cannabis nutrient space. So they, they called me and they asked me what my opinion was of helping them get into it. Um, and I, oh, wow. Yeah, I told them that I thought it was a really stupid idea uh, and that they were about six years too late. Uh, and that if we weren't going to do something really, really new, uh, I didn't see what the point of the conversation was. So um, they said, let us fly you out to Ohio. We'll run you through some of the materials that we've been working on uh, and just kind of see what you think of that. So that seemed yeah. fair to me. Nice. Uh, I went out to to Ohio. It turns out that the people I was meeting with were actually making liquid fertilizers for agriculture since 1946. In a lot of ways, I think you could say that they invented... Uh, modern liquid fertilization back in 46 because before that it was it was mostly granular you know and there were some liquids you know if you had like compost teas or liquid manures etc um, but that's going way back into history so I was pretty <laughs> impressed by the 73 years of research on every single kind of crop that that they had um, mm -hmm. and the chemists were by far the most talented biochemists uh, in horticulture that I had ever met. Uh, and, you know, they, they have this amazing infrastructure um, where they have plants set up basically across the street from uh, a lot of the major mines, uh, say mm -hmm. uh, a, a giant potash mine, like up in uh, Belle Plaine, Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. or, uh, 
you know, they have one across from a, you know, one of the world's biggest phosphate mines and things like that. So it's, to me, that that's very sustainable. Um, they're able to take the raw materials from directly across the street and then wow. basically do, you know, most of it's organic chemistry. Um, not all of it is organic. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a bit. Uh, yeah. But the, the sustainability factor of not taking all these raw materials, tons of truckloads and shipping them across the country and all that gas. And, um, you know, that was something that really spoke volumes to me. And the materials were interesting. Uh, and theoretically, we had some ideas as to, you know, how they were going to work within the plant. Um, we came up with these formulations and started testing them, uh, feeling about, I'd say we were like 90% sure that they were going to work pretty well. Um, but we didn't exactly predict that they were going to work as well as they did or that some of the things that it's consistently doing uh, were going to happen. So some of that was a little bit of a surprise. And uh, over the last year, I've, I've been a little bit uh, tight-lipped about some of the results that we've been getting because I wanted to make sure that they, mm -hmm. were, they were consistent and they were accurate. And some of, the <laughs> some of it's kind of hard to believe um, on the surface. So... You know, we've just been kind of this last year working with uh, growers around the country to uh, get them to do trials. Um, that's that's my main way of kind of getting the word out there because you know yeah. people people are going to see it for themselves since it's legit, uh, and that word of mouth tends to spread pretty quickly. And um, a year in, I mean, I think we still have a, a long way to go, but I think considering where we are, I think that. Um, I think that we're on a pretty good roll. Absolutely. Now, are, is home base, it seems like you're in Colorado a lot. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm on the road all the time. Our, like, I live in Las Vegas, but our home base, uh, as far as our production, is in a small town called Marion, Ohio, which is about uh -huh. uh, an hour or so outside of Columbus, Ohio, actually, which is where I am right now. Uh, certainly receptive to running sampling programs, at the very least. Uh, when I explain what the technology is that we're using, uh, you know, some of these guys who are a little bit jaded by the hundreds of us newt reps that walk through their doors are actually getting a little bit excited about it. And, um, you know, it's it's definitely a process, man. It's, a, it's an uphill battle these days with the sheer amount of brands that are out there. But, um, you know, I think we have some real advantages on our side. And I actually a thousand percent believe in what I do to the point where it's really become an obsession. And, um, you know, we're still, even while we're getting the first initial line of four products out, you know, we're still designing more products. Um, we have two more in the pipeline. I'll talk about the, the two that we were done that we're ready to go to registration with. Cause those, I mean, those we can move into, there's a lot of states where you don't really require those registrations that, you know, you can just sell into those states if you have a fertilizer license. This is going to kind of explain some of the technology that's in the products, obviously, because what I'm doing is uh, I wanted to make uh, some of the benefits of what you get out of the four-part system available to people who don't want to run our system uh, and kind of widen that gap. So uh, one of them is a, a polyamine orthophosphate heavy product. Uh, I believe off the top of my head, I think it's a 724. Um, and what that means, uh, a polyamine orthophosphate, um, to, to give a little bit of background um, for those who don't know the chemistry of it, and I feel like a lot of your listeners probably actually do, but yeah, we all got to learn. So phosphorus is one of the hardest nutrients to work with. It's 
probably the most important uh, and very easily overlooked. There's a lot of misconceptions, in my opinion anyway, misconceptions that, you know, phosphorus is a bloom booster that you begin using during transition and into flower. And um, I think that there are reasons for that conception. Um, so phosphorus, like in its raw form, uh, the molecules like to bind to each other. It, it forms a, a multi-chained set of molecules or what you would call um, a polyphosphate. And a polyphosphate uh, is completely immobile in the soil, and the plant cannot absorb it at all. So, um, you know, with most of the phosphoric products that are out there, um, especially organics, and I mean, well, we'll talk about that, but this particular uh, material is what you would call organic chemistry because it's, um, it's, a, it's a blend of volatile amino acids that do not get along with each other. And they cause a combustion that becomes like a distillation process. And during that distillation process, the uh, amino acids chelate themselves actually to the phosphorus molecules, the single molecules, and prevent them from binding up with each other. Uh, in turn, it also prevents that phosphorus from locking up with other micronutrients that are usually adjutants to it, such as iron, um, yeah, zinc, things like that. Um, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's it's less likely to bind up with calcium, although that one's a little bit tricky. Calcium and phosphorus hate each other so much. I still kind of try to recommend against uh, mixing them together just in case. Uh, but we have like recirculated all the way up to a 6.1 pH without any lockout issues, uh, which is, I don't know, that's kind of impressive in my opinion. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it also, it, it grabs everything else like around it and pulls it in with it. It drastically widens the acceptable pH range. Um, anything between 5.5 and 6.9 typically will go directly into the plant. And so a lot of the growers that are working with our materials, you know, they don't, a lot of them don't pH at all anymore. Uh, a lot of them put a lot less focus into the pH. I, I mean, as you know, the pH varies in different parts of the root zone. So pHing has always been kind of a, like a, a, an imperfect science, um, as it were, because you know, you know what the pH is going in, you know what it is coming out, but you don't really know what's happening everywhere in the root zone. And that's part of the reason why um, a lot of, products will give you like a salt buildup that requires a, uh, a midway flush through flour, etc. Uh, so this kind of gets rid of all of that. So this product in and of itself, like, you know, you would use it probably early in veg uh, and throughout veg and then um, heaviest right before it goes into transition and then into transition and then drastically cut back on your phosphorus afterwards because you're going to have some nice reserves to work through at that point. Um, when you actually, okay. when you actually need it. So I think the reason, um, you know, people believe that you use phosphorus in flour is because the plant clearly needs nutrients while it's going through veg. And typically phosphorus is so unavailable and difficult to work with. You know, you require, if, if your plant is going to get the benefit of phosphorus, you really do need in most instances, uh, microbials, um, such as a mammoth pea or something like that in order to even break it down. And that process can can take days or weeks. So if you were relying on a lot of the phosphoric products out there uh, during the veg stage, it might not be getting it right away and your plant would basically not be getting fed. So that's why there's a huge focus, I feel, on nitrogen in, in veg. 
So, so that's one of them. That one's going to be called Silver Rabbit. Um, and as your listeners will learn, like all of our products so far, at least have sort of a, an Alice in Wonderland kind of theme. Uh, and the other newer product that we're going to do is uh, called Green Dragon. And that one is, um, I guess you would call that sort of a terpene enhancer in a lot of ways. Um, oh, nice. Now, I can't say too much of one thing because, um, you know, you have to register as a pesticide if you imply certain things. But let's just say that this also raises the BRICS levels within the plant uh, immediately and exponentially. Um, but so that one is um, it's a zero zero eighteen four. Um, if my memory is serving me right, uh, the f so the eighteen being potassium uh, and the four being sulfur. So the the potassium is is our potassium acetate, um, which means that the delivery system is an acetic acid, uh, which sounds kind of scary uh, when you word it. But the acetic acid, um, in layman's terms, is like concentrated vinegar. So like your household vinegar is something like a 10% acetic acid and 90% water. Uh, and a raw form, you know, acetic acid is like 99%. Um, so it, you know, it's, it's some pretty potent stuff. It, it smells, you know, pretty powerful concentrated. <laughs> like if you've ever smelled vinegar, it's, it's a lot more of a sort of an ammonia smell in its raw form, but uh, very harmless uh, chemical. I yeah, some of these names. This is a side topic. I saw a meme someone posted the other day, or a photo. Somebody took a photo of um, of their label from some weed in Colorado, and you know how there they list the, you know, the materials that go into, like, into the feed. And, oh wow. Yeah, and and some of the words on there. I mean, if you didn't really understand the chemistry or where things came from, people were like freaking out. They're like, I can't believe this stuff is in our weed like <laughs> you know and i'm looking it over and i'm like this is actually a pretty clean product like the only thing that concerned me on there was neem oil um yeah yeah and that was like the one thing people weren't concerned about you know what i mean um <laughs> so yeah a side thing uh things things can look a little bit scarier on the label than they are in real life but you've got to get to know um, you know, who the company is and what they're doing and what their practices are, in my opinion. Is your line conventional, organic, somewhere in between? Can you explain it? <laughs> I love that question. I'm not going to point any fingers, but I've, I've heard people say things like, oh, it's 98% organic and stuff like that. And I just think it's funny. Um, <laughs> but I'll leave it up to your interpretation. It's your product. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. It's, it's definitely, I mean, not organic. It would be in between. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a bigger discussion. I think that's a bigger discussion the industry needs to get into as a whole for a better understanding, to be honest. Um, because, you know, people's hearts are in the right places and people are really going into an organic direction and they're doing it for the right reasons. But not all organics are inherently good or sustainable to the environment. Uh, and not all synthetic or chemistry based ingredients are inherently bad or dangerous for the environment so synthetics have a bad rap for a very good reason i mean you're you're talking about like your roundups and your miracle grows and things like that that have mm -hmm. kind of given it that reputation and absolutely you want to keep that stuff away from you as much as possible but um there are certainly pros and cons to both uh and my own personal philosophy is that i have always found my best results by pulling the best from both worlds. So there's 
synthetic chemistry involved, um, there is organic chemistry involved, and then there's straight organic ingredients. Um, but we also, you know, we have biology in there. So everything that we do is, um, is good for the soil. Like it, it helps build up soil biology. It helps enrich it. And in, in some parts of the country in agriculture, you know, there's major problems with uh, potassium deficiencies in the soil. And, you know, the, the potassium acetate that we're using um, has a lot of implications for, for things that could really help the environment rather than hurt it. And it's a microbe super food. Like, and the plants love it. It's a direct source of, of acetyl coenzyme A, which is the molecule that the plant forms through glycolysis. And then um, that molecule decides whether it's going to be uh, like a, a reserve of carbohydrates, of bricks. Uh, it can decide to be a cannabinoid, uh, a terpene, or one of several other essential oils that actually add to the plant's flavor and effects uh, that we don't really have the parameters to test for yet. Those would be things like aldehydes, lactones, sulfides, phenols, esters, you know, I'll just say, you and I have talked about this before. Um, there are, you know, a million different ways to approach growing cannabis. Um, and none of them are necessarily right or wrong. Um, obviously, whatever your system is, whatever you decide to do, there's going to be uh, a way, an environment, or ratios that are going to maximize uh, your system or your, your right. yield based under that system. Um, so we're just one more system, but I think that ours is incredibly dialed in. Yeah, we're hitting fantastic numbers and um, cutting down growth cycles and stuff like that. So, um, Well, worth mentioning is uh, you saw that high THC COA that came through using your solution. Oh, yeah, dude. I was pretty stoked on that. There's Yeah. So this is to get into a, a conversation about genetics sort of at this point. Um, there's a school of thought that's been going around that the cannabis plant, uh, pretty much any form of it, is capable of producing up to 40% resinous oils. Uh, and within the, that 40% of resinous oils, you have a scale of what the plant is genetically inclined to do. Um, <laughs> right. So that's how, I mean, that's how you're seeing now strains that are like testing at 32, 34% THC, mm -hmm. but you know, it's unlikely that you're going to see a plant at 34% THC that has, you know, a 3% terpene profile or something like that, because it's been right. bred genetically to push THC. Similarly, yeah. um, you know, I've had results that were 24% THC and 4.3% terpenes. Um, but we've also had results where we've seen, you know, 18% THC uh, and 2% terpenes, but the smell is amazing. So there's probably mm -hmm. a lot more going on inside of that plant in terms of production than what's showing up on, on those tests. Um, and those are, yeah. those are genetic inclinations. So we managed to work with a grower, a cultivator in Las Vegas, uh, and their brand name is Ethics, which I, I love. It's, it's spelled E-T-H-C-X. And <laughs> their strain was, uh, yeah, their strain was called Godbud. And... Typically, they, you know, they, they say that they test at about 27% Delta-9 THC, uh, which is mm -hmm. not a result that I'd be angry about. <laughs> but um, right. switching over to our system, um, 
they managed to raise their delta 9% by 5. So they went from 27 up to 32, uh, which yes. in, its, in its raw acidic form, uh, it was over 37% cannabinoids uh, and like 1.2% terpenes. So under the, the school of thought that a plant can produce up to about 40% resins, um, that tells me, you know, if we, if we test it on the right genetics, uh, that we, we can show that we're pretty much hitting the ceiling of a plant's genetic capabilities. Um, though genetically, you just, you're not going to be able to see that in every plant. Um, in the test, but you'll be able to smell it, taste it, and feel it for sure. Oh yeah, well I've noticed these plants that are in the low 30s and mid 30s. It's you just can't deny the the potency. You can feel it. Oh yeah, yeah, you can you can feel you it. Know, 20s, 20s. You can get away with getting down to 18 percent, and it all kind of feels the same depending on the strain. But man, you hit 30, and it's you know it's you know it's, it's strong, and, and <laughs> you know, and more power to those breeders, man. It's impressive. It certainly is. It's um. You know, it's not necessarily the flavor profile that I personally gravitate to. I like, you know, I'm all about the terps and the flavors. You know? Yeah. If something's 15%, <laughs> but it had like 10% terpenes, I would buy that all day over something with 34% THC. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> but I figure, you know, if I smoke two bowls of it, man, it's 30% then, right? So <laughs> just double my intake. But, um, but yeah, no doubt, man. There's been some strains I've tried that is like almost like taking a, a dab of rosin or something not really that far behind so do you think that we're going to kind of cap out around 40 percent? you know how much how much can a plant hold and if we're talking uh, about yeah. you know we're having discussions about you know if you hit over 15 percent bricks levels within the plant um you know your, your plant's going to produce terpenes that are unattracted to pests well if you're hitting like maximum resins and you're going over 15 percent bricks i mean you're looking at 55 percent of the plant already right there so, sure. I mean, what else is a plant supposed to do? Like, I don't, I don't really know if mathematically you can really go that much it further. Happen, like, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, but I mean, dude, like, who knows? I mean, 10, 10 years ago, 34% THC would have been unimaginable. So, uh-huh. um, what geneticists are Even doing these days? they tried days, to say their stuff was fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was back then. I mean. Yeah. To them, yes. Yeah, it was relative. But. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I try to explain to him sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what they're going to come up with next? I mean, maybe maybe some kind of like auto flower looking thing where there's not even a stem and it's just only a big bud. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like maybe that's it's the next like less plant material and just more resin where it's just it, it has a flower on it and it just exudes kind of like a bud that grows out of the ground. It's just a bud just on a, a stick. Yeah. yeah it's, just a, <laughs> it's like a honeycomb where you just tap it every week and just anyway yeah so one thing about conventional lines uh is that you'll notice it's not all of them but some of the more uh aggressive ones uh can be pretty harmful on your your soil life yeah like i mentioned the the acid the acetic acid component of the uh, potassium acetate is a microbe superfood um you know there's there are other lines that are experimenting with uh different types of acetate um you know, I know ABC Organics slash Primordial Solutions have had their versions of acetate and some other products, and I've seen some others like Psycho and stuff that have a, a calcium acetate, um, and those seem to be pretty effective as well. Um, so I'm not knocking them at all. Um, pretty good, innovative stuff. Uh, but I, I have found that the potassium with the acetate has 
by far been the most effective delivery system into the plant. So where I hear from some growers where, say, say a psycho with a calcium acetate may uh, give them an average, you know, faster harvest cycle of maybe half a week, uh, we've been running into uh, an average of one to three week faster harvest times uh, relative to controls or, or expectations. Um, and it's interesting because it, the, the plant isn't finishing faster because it is just trying to rush through its job. It's, I mean, it's really, if, if your plant is finishing that much faster, like full maturity to foggy trichomes, to orange hairs, uh, I think you're really getting pretty much everything you genetically can out of that plant based off of, you know, environment, lighting, um, the width of space it has to root out, et cetera. Yeah, those are those are the kinds of plants we're getting those numbers on. Um, I've never hit numbers that high on plants that took like a whole twelve weeks to grow. Um, you know, and, and I've you know not to toot my own horn, but I've I've grown some pretty decent weed before. But the stuff that um, I've been producing since we've developed this line, I just I can't imagine um, growing without it. But it is definitely it's biologically active. Like we have five strains of bacillus in it. Uh, which isn't the most, oh, okay. yeah, it's not the most robust biological symptom, but they're, I'm sorry, the most robust biological system. Um, but they're very specific as to the functions um, that we, you know, we have them for. Um, uh, there's a product that's pretty popular out on the market that uh, is, is the same, uh, the, the, the same combination as well. I'm not going to mention them by name just to I'm not trying to burn them out because uh, they're nice guys, but um, you know it's it sort of incorporates, if you will, a product that a lot of people are out there using to build their living soil systems with. Though you could, there's a lot you could do to have a more robust biological system. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of living soil. Um, I, I think it's a really high road, uh, and, and including like you know using cover crops, even composting your own materials and doing it completely organically but it's just not realistic for everybody everywhere there's certain places where you can do that you can do that there you're in oregon like you've got all the materials handy to do that um but if you were in if you're in nevada uh good luck you know what i mean like good luck doing it locally sustainably and living soil so a lot of these guys are actually doing living soil just because once it's in place and running properly it's cost effective it is cost effective too. I mean, so, some you know organics, uh, as it were, are you know obviously a lot more expensive to use. Um, a lot of it comes down to the shipping costs of it. You know that certainly adds on to your your costs there. But you know when I and I I go around the country all the time, and all I do is pretty much talk to people about growing weed, like from the time I wake up till I go to sleep. Um, <laughs> And I meet a lot of people that are, you know, into living soil systems, and I don't try to talk them out of it. I don't try to sell them on switching over, you know, because um, it is a high road. And again, like we said, there's a lot of different ways you can you can do this. Like we didn't invent good weed by any by any means, <laughs> so definitely not harmful. Though the the potassium acetate, um, like the Green Dragon product I was talking about a little bit earlier, one of the ideas I had for that actually is to supplement living soil systems with. Um, so you don't have to overfeed the whole system, but this is a, a form of potassium, which, you know, the, the, the microbes tend to use up pretty quickly in the soil. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this is a, a potassium that actually 
feeds and propagates them as well. So, so adding microbes, the the kind of microbes that you would normally run, whether it's a you know a fungi or bacillus or anything like that, uh, definitely want to add that with your product. You know what I do? I add them. I don't think it's completely necessary. Okay. Um, the the thing is, is you know the way that as we were talking about the polyamine technology earlier, the way that works, so much of it gets pulled directly into the plant. Um, there's nothing really left for microbes to, to have to break down to go into the plant. But I also look at it as uh, if anything doesn't somehow make it into the plant, the microbes are there to help clean up the rest of it and or fix the pH uh, for you know that area of the root zone. Um, that being said, though, you know I have kind of different... Um, thoughts in in my head regarding that that i'm kind of trying to work out right now um and this is one of those you know just be honest when you don't completely know type of things one of them is the idea like more microbes adds more diversity that's got to be good because they're you know if nothing else even they're performing some sort of enzymatic action that has got to be beneficial for the plant somewhere but then i also wonder uh if you add too many types of bacteria um, you could just be creating a war zone where things are going to become inconsistent. So, yeah, there's there's probably some sort of a balance there, and I just don't know that we've quite figured it out. Um, I, I have a memory of of reading some sort of a research paper where they determined that um, there were ideal levels of microbes for the maximum amount of production, like a specific, you know, a, amount uh, and and type of microbes that you would get the most production for. But I can't seem to find that paper um, to re-reference it and find out exactly what was in there. So, um, I mean, technically it's possible I dreamed that up or something, so I don't know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think there may be some research out there to that effect. If anybody could find it, please, please send it. I mean, we're all learning, man. We're all learning all of the time. Like, if you are closed off to trying to figure out the next way to improve your process then they i mean there's a lot of different goals uh that i had in mind that i wanted to tackle with this line uh, and the the overcomplication of the feeding process was one of them that i i wanted to reduce i mean there's still four parts um and i've never really managed to figure out getting a feeding schedule below four parts because i mean you've, you've got to change the ratios week to week um calcium and phosphorus they tend not to really get along so i mean any way you look at it there's two products right there um veg and flour i mean they need different bases so there's three and then you know the ratio of micronutrients etc uh is going to alter throughout so that's i mean that's where your four come in so um yeah, I mean, it is, it's three parts in veg, and then you switch one part out, and then it's three parts in um, Pretty easy to use. pH isn't as big of a deal. Um, you know, I want, I want people to be able, even if they're inexperienced, um, I want them to be able to have success being able to grow their own. I mean, aside yeah. from the fact that growing is just an incredibly therapeutic experience, um, you know, to not go too far into the specifics, uh, if you've ever you know, worked in some of the legal facilities that exist. And I definitely don't want people out there to think I'm talking about the entire legal market in general. But um, sometimes, you know, there can be an inherent problem when a company cannot afford to lose a harvest. And things begin to happen at that point um, that sometimes may not be the safest for human consumption. And this is, 
you know, recreational or not, it's still medicine. Um, you know, it's supposed to be healthy. So I want, I want people to be able to grow their own clean, trustworthy medicine. I mean, that's what, what, in my opinion, where all of this should be going. The legal industry should be everybody growing their own eventually. Um, pipe dream, I know, but... <laughs> well, it's, that was our goal when we first started the podcast. That's what we wanted to support was people growing their own medicine. Yeah, absolutely. And that was our big deal. And that's what we do. You know, our, ours is all closed loop here, you know, as far as our medicine. We grow for us and we make it into all kinds of things and consume for it all us. year long. For us, all year long. So, <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of good quality professional brands out there. Absolutely. But, um, I mean, if you don't know them personally and you haven't been to their facility, I mean, it's, it's hard to know who to trust as the average consumer. And, you know, especially at the prices that are being charged, I mean, I, you know, I don't necessarily have a, a problem with some of the prices and the taxes if it was material that I felt comfortable smoking, <laughs> you know. Well, thank God in Oregon that we do have pretty stringent testing. Obviously, nothing is complete and there's a lot of holes and standards are questionable sometimes. But, it, it, uh, it helps a lot, but there's workarounds, you know. Oh, yeah. They're not only workarounds, but, you know, I we talk to Evio Labs all the time and they've, you know, Jason's mentioned several times that uh, there's everything from payoffs to, um, you know, skewed numbers and bad testing and there's all that involved. So and I think it's something that, you know, we can work through over time. People will start to figure out ways to catch the workarounds and, you know, shut the shady people out. It's not like there weren't shady people in the black market either. Um, mm -hmm. And there's certainly always going to be a place for uh, a legal market and dispensaries and stuff because not everybody has a place where they can grow their own. Not everybody is physically capable of it. Um, right. You know, somebody who's like got stage four cancer to expect them to go outside and, you know, <laughs> with like 10 gallons of water every every couple of days. It's <laughs> fixing their drip system. <laughs> totally. It's, it's, not a, <laughs> it's not a reasonable expectation and they need to have access to. So. Um, mm -hmm. Just to kind of clarify on that, so I'm not alienating you, uh, you legal guys. No, no. Yeah, uh -huh. I got love for you too, but um, I love the grow process, and I, you know, I think people should become more educated about how how their products are made, um, you know, and what's what's good for them or not. Well, and even if you're just growing one little plant in a pot on your balcony, uh, there's a lot to learn from it. it. Gives you an idea what has to go into the plant, so it gives you an idea of the you know the things you can do to keep safe when you're out there buying from a, a dispensary yeah you know and it's a, that's a confusing time too when you first start learning the grow process and there's so much information and so much conflicting information and different scientific opinions and you know that's one of the most confusing times in a cannabis lover's life i think uh, well not only that but there's so much pressure too it's like oh if i don't grow organic i'm going to be hated on if i don't grow you know, conventionally, then I'm, you know, won't be successful or there's so many excuses and problems with every angle that <laughs> absolutely, you know, I think and I hope eventually someday, um, you know, the goal is going to be that we just, we have the cleanest possible product, uh, regardless of, you know, what the science was that went into it. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's horrible synthetics, like we so we almost sidebarred earlier, and this is actually a good segue into it, but a lot of these phosphoric acid products, um, that's the main source. Yeah, phosphorus especially. Like I'd say that's the main source of toxicity to plants. Uh, and that stuff does not leave the plant. 
when it when it is harvested at all by any by any means. So we we discussed a little bit earlier how in order for phosphorus to be absorbed into the plant, it has to be broken down to a single molecule. And the most common way for that to happen is for them to combust inorganic soft rock phosphate uh, with a sulfuric acid. Um, and then, you know, you have a very, you know, it's not the most concentrated form of phosphorus at that point. Uh, and it is what I believe, um, you know, sometimes I might mess up on some of the science. I'm not exactly a real biochemist, so please forgive me if I get things wrong, but I believe that's what they would call a, uh, a green phosphoric acid. Um, and in order for it to, you know, be purified, uh, they, you know, they take the water out of this phosphoric acid, uh, and then you have the single molecules, but what is left in the extraction is all of the toxins. Uh, and that's, you know, a lot of cadmium, which is one of the worst ones, uh, a lot of arsenic, uh, and even things that don't show up, like uranium is a very common ingredient in organic phosphorus. Um, but, you know, on the, on the flip side, so you, you extract these things. Um, it's not exclusive to synthetics, but now you have it in a highly concentrated form. So too much of that, uh, and that's what is eating people's plants alive to a very large degree. You know, if, you have, if you're using like an organic and it's being broken down by microbes and stuff, I mean, it's still got a lot of the toxins in that, but the microbes are going to, um, you know, they're, they're going to clean a lot of that out. A lot of that's not going to end up making it into the plant at that point. But it's a much slower release. Um, and you can have amazing, amazing results with it. But where I'm kind of going with things right now myself, like uh, from a, a scientific standpoint, I want things to be consistent and repeatable. Yeah, I want you to get the same thing every time you grow yeah. that plant in the same environment. So you know you can project exactly what you're going to get. Um, I mean, which is could be important to you know, a facility planning their production, but it could also be very important to somebody who grows their own medicine that relies on planning, you know, what they're going to have to smoke for the next year or use or, you know. But, you know, the, the nature of something like our product with, a, you know, with strains of bacillus in it, because we do have biologicals, uh, the pH, if you were to leave that stored, the pH will rise over time. Um, and that is just the nature of, of having biologicals. So, um, you know, if, if you were to say mix it and then store it in a tank for multiple days, um, you might look at it before you do another feeding. Yeah, you, you might, you might, um, I, to be honest, I don't really know yet. Like I said, it's new. We haven't figured everything out yet. Um, you know, like I've done, like we talked about stress tests to see how much I could use without hurting the plant. Um, but I also have some philosophies that we could probably, feed the plant a lot less than we do, but I haven't discovered how little we can use yet. Um, so that might be one of my next my next stages. Well, I've enjoyed using it. There are so many lines now. There are so yeah. many lines. Yeah. Like I go into this expecting that you aren't gonna care about anything I have to say because I'm just like one in a thousand people making fantastic right. claims, you know? <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> Uh, well, and that's why we try stuff first. You know, we don't try it just to have a legitimate review for it. But 
I want to try it to even know if I even want to contact you again because there's some stuff I end up finding questionable, you know. <laughs> totally. Genetics is like 90% of everything. Oh, yeah. Great genetics will make a bad grower look good. Absolutely. And, you know, it's we grow from seed all the time. I don't do clones. And if I do a clone, it has to be from a real close friend and it's going to have to be a really good set of genetics. But we grow from seed all the time. And, and a lot of these newer growers don't realize that growing from seed is its whole other venture because you're not going to necessarily get what's in the picture, but you might get better too. But people will buy a $200 pack of seeds and be like, I'm going to have the bomb. Well, yeah, right, maybe you're going to have really good genes, but well, are you going to have to grow that whole pack out and select and, you know, <laughs> I've had people come in and show me pictures of, Hey, so do you have seeds that look like this? And they like, show me a picture. I'm like, yeah, but it takes a lot to get that quality. <laughs> I'm like, that's high times magazine that you gotta be a good, good grower. Not just some well, so now what you buddy can... that's trying out, you know, I mean, I have mm -hmm. one of my own personal genetics is, um, you know, I, I sometimes I, I do little crosses. I'm an experimenter at home. Like I do a lot of my growing from seed too. Um, just because I like to mess around and try different things all the time, and I like to to see what happens in person, so that you know I I can recognize problems for other people before they start, etc. But I have you know I have one little strain that I crossed, and it's got some heirloom like chocolate tie in it, and some heirloom haze, uh, and those two are crossed together, and it's and then it's crossed into uh, killer grape, which is uh, if I remember right, I think it's space queen and quirkle. So it's pretty sativa okay. dominant, and it really, really yeah. expresses that chocolate flavor, like chocolate and terpinaline, like all the racy sativa things that I really want um, with a shorter growth cycle and like denser nugs and everything. But you know, with those, with those genetics, it's just it's not the prettiest looking flower. You know what I mean? Everything else I grow around it is way prettier, but. Everybody who tries the variety is like, this one is one of the favorites that people actually, when it comes to actually smoking it, you know? So, I don't know. You know, you can't necessarily just judge it based upon the appearance of, of the nug either. You know, I think yeah. that's something that's getting lost in the, in today's day of, um, you know, cookies crosses where everything just looks like it's covered in, like, oh I don't God. know, powdered sugar and... Yeah, when you can guess strains these days. You just say something cookies, and you guessed it. Do you have anything cookies? Have anything? Yeah, yes. everything. Yes, everything. <laughs> or Mac. Yeah, or I do cake. totally. Yeah, I mean that's cool. I got nothing against it either, though. I mean, if that's what people are into, it's not the flavor profile I like. But I like really racy sativas. I like stuff that like. Oh, he'd like that clementine. Ah, I do like clementine. But uh, you know, I like I like stuff that has me like thinking like man should i have said that earlier today am i a jerk while well, you're spending like five minutes trying to remember how to like put your key in the car door before you realize you have keyless entry yeah that's what i'm into um so you're, you're still consuming cannabis in your old age then <laughs> more now than ever yeah i mean yeah you're like more medicinally than ever i feel like it's sort of my job to try everything <laughs> were you a skater when you were young oh yeah oh yeah i was a skater um you got that skater look. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Southern <laughs> California. I used to skateboard, you know, like. Um, He's got the SoCal looks. <laughs> you do have the SoCal look. Yeah, I played in, played in punk bands, like, all my youth. You know what I mean? Like, I still, um, 
you know, I still play in my like punk thrash metalish kind of band. It's smart. funny because we've met so many we've met so many people recently with interviewing and stuff that have come from the exact same culture that you mm-hmm. were in the Southern California skater scene. And cannabis just seemed to go hand in hand with all and of actually that. Florida skater scene. Florida, yeah. And so it's just crazy how much it's come out. Like all these older guys, you know, like us, like me, I'm forty, almost forty five and different time yeah southern california i mean in the 90s you know we were the first kind of progressive place towards cannabis um and it wasn't exactly legal and the medical system was a lot harder to to get through back then but um i mean it was all very hand in hand right with like um things the initial progression of uh the normalization of it along with southern california kind of uh I mean, both skate and punk culture, but also like hip hop culture out there as well. So, um, but yeah, it was, I mean, Southern California certainly has its roots. Um, Mm -hmm. Yep. Is there anything you didn't talk about, about the tech of your line? Um, I mean, heck, I mean, those are sort of the biggest differentiators um, would be the the polyamine technology that goes along with the, uh, the phosphorus. Um, the potassium acetate, the nitrogen sources we use. I mean, we do use synthetic nitrogen sources, and I like those um, because they give me both cation and anion forms of nitrogen. So I have multiple mobility rates in the plant at the same time. Uh, Instead of all of the nitrogen just going up, like some of it's also going outwards. Uh, And then there's, you know, urea mixed in there as well, which is very important in the protein building process. Since we have like 17 L amino acids in there, um, you know, and it, it, you should be using amino acids in your grow. But if you don't have some sort, some form of like a urea along with it, and like maybe a silica um, somewhere along the process, you're you're losing out on some of your protein potential. Um, and, and those protein building blocks are incredibly important to giving your your plant the reserves to um, signal how much effort it's going to put into its transition process. So like the, the reserves that you're building up during veg, they're not just like arbitrary. Like there's a lot more being done to your flowering process in veg than people realize. Um, and so those, those three forms of nitrogen sort of go along with that idea. Um, the, a couple of other points about it, I think that are worth mentioning um, would be the the heavy metals content uh, as far as like the toxic heavy metals that they are testing for in some of the legal states now uh, we've managed to extract um, pretty much everything out of the materials it's going to be some of the lowest levels of toxic heavy metals uh, that you're going to find in the entire industry um, and it's only there's a, a trace amount of cadmium that's left in the phosphorus extraction. If you if you ran the heavy feed schedule as as you have been verbatim, uh, and you ran that for I believe like twelve weeks, um, your entire heavy metals content, uh, at least toxic heavy metals content that you don't want in there, would be 0.017 parts per million, uh, and only of one metal. So I'm pretty proud of that. Um, it's an incredibly clean material, and that's part of the reason I think why we don't really get that nutrient burn um, when we overfeed the plant. 
Um, and another thing that I think is going to be important, uh, one of the big goals we had with this product line was also to bring the costs down. Um, and I'm just going to say it, and maybe some of the other companies out there aren't going to be happy to have this information being disseminated, but the exact same materials in much more concentrated forms are being sold to agriculture for pennies on the dollar of what cannabis growers are paying. And you can't just take what they're wow. using in agriculture and transfer it over because the ratios are wrong. You know, they really kind of have us there. And there are some lines out there, and some of the newer ones especially, I think, are more reasonably priced. Um, some of the bigger companies, too, uh, are okay. But there's, there are some insane prices on the quality of materials that are out there. Um, so I would say, you know, based on my market research anyway, and I haven't figured out exactly the cost of running uh, every single program, but we've managed to price it at an average cost that is cheaper than everything else that we've looked at. Um, cheaper than running, you know, Fox Farms Rasta Gringo even, or cheaper than running General Hydro. Um, I'd say it's like seven times probably less expensive than running the whole advanced nutrients lineup. And something like 21 times cheaper than Canna, which is actually a good line. Um, you know, they're just, <laughs> they're a little bit pricey. Um, well, I'm, yeah, sorry. We just, we really wanted to kind of start to bring the prices closer to, uh, you know, what what agricultural people are, are able to pay um, as much as we can anyway. What, how do people, I've noticed I can't just go get it on the shelf here. So where can people get it if it's not available locally? That is the um, that is the trouble right now, you know, with okay. uh, being a new line. Um, it's an uphill battle to get to get us out there. Um, you know, there's definitely stores that are interested in picking us up, but at this point, we're still we're still working on picking up, you know, distributors. So, you know, if anybody out there is potentially interested in talking about how being a distributor would work, uh, by all means, please please look us up and contact us. Uh, any stores interested in running sampling programs, um, that's kind of the start. You know, I, I work with as many stores as possible to get samples in there. You probably haven't tried anybody in this area, huh? I haven't tried Oregon at all, really. And the reason why is because, I'm sorry, Oregon's Department of Agriculture is by far the most tedious process to to get approval through out yeah. of any Department of Agriculture <laughs> in this country. So... Every single time we've made a correction on our labels, um, you know, they found something new that they didn't mention before. And, and you have to do it by mail and you start at the beginning of the queue every time. So, yeah, unfortunately, I can't, um, I can't sell it into Oregon right now, but I can sample it into Oregon. I see. So you actually can't even ship it into Oregon. I can ship it into Oregon. I mean, I can't sell it. So what's what's you mean to agri? You mean to like a commercial locations? Right. Like I cannot. I can't accept money um, for these materials in Oregon right now. But I can for any reason. But if anybody's interested, interesting. Um, well, I think you know, and I'm gonna have to double check this. I think at this point, maybe like three out of four of them are approved or something. But it's. It's kind of weird missing like the fourth part of a system, you know, so. So the only way to get around that would be to have it essentially not be a nutrient or labeled not as a nutrient, whatever. I mean, but it couldn't be a nutrient. It'd have to be like something that's non. That's an interesting point. So one thing that I have learned over the years is that because it's, it can be so 
specific how you have to word things, what you have to say, what you have to go through to get approvals for using certain materials in your products. Um, you know, there are companies out there who, and, and it's a totally understandable, who just stop claiming things on their label. They just stop telling you what's in their products. But we, you know, we, we just kind of refuse to go that route. So we're going to just keep everything on the derivation statement and just kind of go through it until it's right. But very, very actively looking for partners right now, looking for, you know, distributors who want to, you know, make a margin off of the profits in their area by, you know, storing the materials there and helping, you know, make shipping easier, um, you know, because it's very important. Like if you're running out, you need to be able to get it within a day or two, you know. I definitely plan on moving into Oregon as soon as possible. I, I think, um, you know, Oregon has a lot of growers who are, there's a little bit of a problem with the margin on, you know, your wholesale costs on your finished product. So um, I think one of the advantages that we're really going to be able to offer Oregon specifically is to help them with some of those margins by bringing the cost of their production down. I mean, when you have, what, $50 indoor ounces on the shelf, yeah, yeah, it's got to be pretty brutal. Like, it's definitely not a, uh, the growers out there can't be in it for the money, can they? <laughs>